Hi, I'm Laura Brady, CEO of Concierge Auctions. And hi, I'm Chad Roffers, Chairman of Concierge Auctions. And this is Block Talk. Welcome, everyone. Really excited to be here today with Mark Davison, who's the Chief Creative Officer at Thousand Watt and is one of my favorite marketing, branding, creative minds that I know on this planet. At Concierge Auctions, we are a real estate auction company. We sell luxury properties alongside the real estate brokerage community around the world. So we've been in business for about 12, almost 13 years. Mark and I were just discussing before this call that Thousand Watt was founded around the same time as we were. And Mark and I actually go way back to those days when we both worked together at the beginning of our businesses. At Concierge, we have thus far auctioned properties across 29 countries and 40 US states. So we have a, a wide purview of properties and contacts and brokerages that we work with throughout all of those areas and are excited to continue to always grow our reach and contacts. And I mentioned that we're broker friendly. I know we have a number of agents and brokers who registered to join the webinar today. And so I always like to point out that we see ourselves as a tool to the brokerage community. So we are an added service that you can offer to high-end properties to create a market within a predetermined period of time. We typically sell properties in four to six weeks, market them to our database alongside you as the agents and aggregate as much competition as we can to drive the price for the property. So that is who we are. We are again here today with Mark to talk about design and storytelling and brand strategy. This slide says the specific about that today real estate companies and agents are looking to become more innovative than ever. But Mark and I also talked about expanding this discussion beyond the real estate industry, right? Marketing and branding speaks towards all of us and every facet of our lives. So we always like to look outside of the industry and what can we draw? What conclusions can we bring from other brands that are being successful and that we love. Mark, I know you also draw a lot of inspiration from music and art. Mark, I will say, from all of the industry events that I've been to in the real estate industry, we were just talking about one of my favorite all-time ever experiences work or otherwise, was listening to Mark play the guitar with Matt Beal, who is a good friend of ours and is the founder and owner of Hawaii Life, um, late night at an Inman News conference when we just got a small group together and kind of got that little jam sesh. So that's another area I know that Mark loves. You know, it was just supposed to be Matt and I being antisocial, holding up in, I think, his his lodging. But then... People started like Andrew Blackner from Real Scout kind of meandered in and you came in wearing this awesome hat. Get back homes was there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what made it so special was everybody contributing. It's a, you know, music's a two way street. You play and feed off of the energy of those around you. Before we get into the topic, Mark, will you just tell us a little bit about Thousand Watt and what y'all do there? The description is where creative marketing agency, creative brand agency. Um, so a creative agency is a more modern take on the on the old school advertising agency. I got my start at Young and Rubicam in New York on Madison Avenue. And that was, you know, straight out of Mad Men, a big time, big agency, international ad agency. But the department that I was in was more focused on brand and brand building. It was a lucky draw for me to get placed there as a copywriter, but I always had a sense for the difference between branding and advertising, big difference between the two. You know, when I got into real estate, I built a company and I met Brad Inman and Brian Boero, who's my current partner, through that endeavor. And they brought me on as an independent to help build the Inman brand. That was back in the late 1990s. So I got introduced to real estate and really saw an opportunity to help real estate companies move beyond marketing and really create more branding. And so, you know, we do everything from writing ads to identity work, logo work, positioning, marketing, strategy, all the things that we all need to 
to create awareness around us and hopefully build brand. Laura, before we get into this, I want to interject something because I can't help myself. You described what concierge is, but what you didn't do is describe who concierge is. I remember that first meeting when we sat at a dinner table in New York City. It was Brian and I, and we were just at the onset of Thousand Watt, and it was you, Chad, and I think the guy's name was George, a wild man. And I remember coming out of that meeting, I had feelings about all three of you guys. Um, I was very on the fence about concierge. Can this really happen? Can this really work? What's the long tail version of you guys? Where, where will you be in 10 years? But I remember coming out of that feeling like, hey, you are fiercely independent, super smart, very focused. And you've built a company that has morphed and changed. You have overcome obstacles and really created something more than what the word auction actually says on the surface. And it built an extraordinary business. And I think that really speaks to who you are and who the brand is. That for me is always more interesting of a story to tell than like what a brand does. I like that. What is the who? And also the difference between what is a brand's identity and voice and then what is branding and what is marketing. So I know you have probably a clearer picture than most do about those distinguishing points of brand, which actually makes me think I do have a couple questions that I have in slides here. We don't have to go through all the questions exactly because I know you and I can just start talking organically when we get when we get talking together. But um, this first one, how do you discover and build a brand's identity and voice is something that, well, you teed up nicely by asking what is our voice. And I know you come into every project like that, asking who are you, not just what are you wanting to accomplish, but who are you and, and how are you different from others that might be wanting to accomplish the same thing that you are? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I think for those who are established businesses, or even if you're thinking about starting a business, there's a lot you have to think about. You have to think about your product line or your service line and where your niche is, where you're going to be successful and not successful, who your customer is. But then there are like the micro details. So brand identity, it's like our own identity. We each as an individual have an identity and it's probably, we don't think about it that much. I mean, some people think a lot about it and put themselves together based on that identity. But even like what we wear and, you know, to go to work or go out into the world, uh, the choices we make and different products. So like the brand of car we choose, the brand of technology devices, all of those decisions go into somehow identifying us in the world. So like identity is whatever a company creates to identify themselves so that the world can catch a vibe about who and what they are. You know, it's the curb appeal. It's the cover that you judge the book by. They're very powerful things. And voice is just one of many, many, many elements within the branding or marketing that create sort of consistency. There are great examples. I think of like, if anybody uses MailChimp, you know that like when MailChimp communicates with you, there's a certain personality trait that comes across, we call it the brand voice. It's how they speak. It's the words they use. It's even like when you send off a MailChimp and there's a little message congratulating you on the send off, like that's its voice. How you craft those things, you can either just wing it, not a very good idea, because then you'll be all over the place. Or you can architect it. It's through the architecture of that whole entire brand foundation, which is critical. So how do you do that? Well, I think you and I do the same things in different industries, right? Like when you go to list a property, you've got to learn a lot about the seller and what the seller is going to want, how to meet their expectation, how to set realities for them, how to market the property. You got to learn about the property, right? Like so many details involved in getting that figured out. I have to do the same thing. I got to send a team in and really like open up the client uh, and get beyond the surface. You know, like here's an example. Every broker uh, who's independent will say, well, we're an independent local brokerage. Okay. You and 20 other brokers in your community are, or we're a family owned brokerage. Okay. Uh, so many, what does that mean? Um, we really pull back so many layers to where we start getting to places where they don't know the answers to the questions, and that's okay. It's not a test. 
It's really us learning uh, and figuring out where we actually need to create narrative and build story around. Let me take that question one step further. If you think about how you build a brand's identity, how you build their voice, how you build everything, I've narrowed it down to a couple of things that a brand really needs or any business need. Forget about a brand, just like what you need. Every company needs like a worldview some sort of like grand view of its world around that usually like the way you can kind of figure it out is what is the problem that you see in the world and what is your solution to make it a better one? Let's just play act that out a second, not to put you on the spot, but at the very beginning, when we met you guys, you know, 10 years ago in that restaurant in New York and you were hatching concierge, what was the problem that you saw in the world and what did you believe needed to be provided to the world to make it a better place? The problem is that sellers of high-end properties don't always have control when it comes to selling their homes. They feel a lack of control and this is often the only area in their life or one of very few areas, I guess, and certainly health and some of those things you don't have control of, but it's one of very few areas in their life that they cannot control and no level of wealth can adjust that for them. So that's the problem. And then what is your solution to make that unhappy world a better place for them? Our solution is to create a market for the property so that we can find out real value and affect a sale. So here's what I hear. I hear that in in concierge's worldview, sellers maybe all sellers, don't really have control over their transaction. Well, how do we feel when we don't have control over things? With frustration, so we feel frustrated, we have anxiety, and maybe a bunch of other sentiments and feelings and emotions. These emotions are really important. Like in, in building brand, we need to create a list of like emotional benefits and rational benefits. Because in the messaging and marketing and branding, you want to hit on those points. And then you have the solution that essentially puts and gives people control. The worldview now serves a really wonderful purpose, which is it now helps us create a foundation for messaging and marketing. To be successful here as an emerging brand, we want to talk about that. We want to converse around that. We want to put that out and let people know that like we, we, we perceive what you're going through. The the next thing in building a brand foundation is what I call the point of clarity. It's the single word that I can associate to a brand. So let's play a little game. I'll say a brand name and you say the first word that comes to mind that you think is perfectly associated with that brand. Okay? Okay. Not rehearsed. And Don't be people kidding. listening in, if you want to chat in your first word too. You win it, okay? Or get it. Okay. Volvo as a car company. Safe. Safe. Exactly. Why did you say that? They both position themselves and their product is a very solid safety product for families or anyone. But I know that they market themselves often to families as a safe car. Okay. That is the point of clarity. And when you start thinking about all kinds of great brands, I mean, I can do it. It's not that easy for a layman who doesn't study this, but like some of them are really obvious. Like Apple, it's all about design and user interface. But within the car automobile industry, no different than real estate, a lot of competitors, a lot of people who build cars, but no other brand markets around safety. BMW, what's a word that comes to to mind when I say BMW? I think kind of old school when I think of BMW, but that might not be the right. (laughs) I don't know. They're like traditional, I guess, might be the right. No wrong. Um, Again, it's a matter of studying these brands to know. But so I'll give it away. I think some of your audience members might have figured this one. BMW markets around performance. Like when you're in that old school car, like you can spin around corners and really feel the road. That's right. I didn't mean old school, like dusty and not popular right now. It's just, I guess, more established and traditional is what I'm saying. They are. There's no question about it. But here's the point. Because that they are, this is the problem that like Oldsmobile and Buick and Chrysler found themselves in. When you're this old, old brand, 
and the only association to that is age and tenure, you need to shift mindset to something else. And you need to pick something that you also stand for. This is where point of clarity really comes in. Range Rover, Jeep, Subaru, they're really positioned for like outdoorsy and exploration. When you start to really think about this in context of branding, we're point of clarity. So your point of clarity, concierge, to me would be off the bat control. Everything you stand for is about control. And as you build brand, once you have these ingredients in place, you realize like, okay, I've got this wonderful worldview that is empathetic. People will feel the pain that we're talking about. And they're going to want to acquire us because we're going to bring them pleasure from that. And that pleasure is being in control. This starts to really guide all your messaging and marketing. Like the story, think about Volvo. Every story they tell, every ad they put out is all about safety. They tell that story. They've been telling that story since the 40s. Um, But it's not just storytelling. Volvo has about 100 patents on safety innovation in their cars. They created the seatbelt, they invented the airbag, like all these things. So it's not just, it's not made up marketing bullshit. This yeah. is a retail company. You know, you know, they're in the car business, they have to sell cars, they have to make money, but they have a worldview and they have a point of clarity that's built off that worldview of keeping people safe when they're in a car. The next component you need is a purpose, a higher purpose. We're all in business to make money, but We all need to ascend to a higher purpose because that purpose keeps us from making bad decisions in business. That purpose also helps us make really good decisions. I'll give you a little story about me. I get a lot of emails. A lot of them tend to be, hey, can I get a favor? And I remember one in particular that came in not too long ago. That person had been working really hard on a listing presentation and wanted to send me like their 30 paid listings page listing presentation and wanted me to go through it and give them feedback. I mean, that's a service I provide to a degree. Uh, We do more than feedback. We actually will create that. But my instinct as a human being was, uh, where do I send the bill to? Like, who do I invoice for this? Or like, hey, buddy, like, you know, you're asking me to do, I don't even know who this person is. But then I didn't send that email. Because I am not me in Thousand Watt. I'm part of a brand, or at least a company trying to be a brand. And I thought about our purpose. And our purpose is to help people, help real estate be better, help make it better, and help those entities within real estate who want to be better, be better. So I had no choice. I sent it back an email. I said, yes, send me what you got. I'll take a look at it, but please include the following things that I'm going to need to evaluate whether what you're sent me is good or not. I just can't read it and decide without having some stuff. Um, and I tell you, that led to a fantastic conversation. Uh, and, you know, things like that continually lead to new business opportunities. When you have a purpose, all great brands have purposes and they tell stories around those purposes. And we can talk about many of them. I think this. Block talk is part of your purpose to share. Like, why do you why do you do block talk? What is the reason why you do it? We've thought about doing a webinar for a long time, and when you know the COVID situation came about and everybody was inside so much, it was like the perfect opportunity to to start it and to share knowledge. I think there's been you know so much knowledge seeking in the past six months that yes you know, some of us would always listen to blogs and read books. Some of us wouldn't, but now is the perfect time to kind of grow yourself as a person, as well as growing your business. So we thought of it as a way to connect more people together and do that. What happens when people become more knowledgeable and more educated? Then they have more ability to give back their skills and knowledge to the world. That sounds a lot like your worldview. I say it sometimes like the ABL, the always be learning. I love learning. And I think it's our duty on this earth to give our talents and knowledge to better everything around us. And as you can, you have to continue learning. I mean, you think about it as we're growing up, 
were schooled in the United States from kindergarten through high school. And then after that, there's no, you know, organized way that people continue learning. So how do we keep growing? We have to seek it ourselves. So here's what's so cool about this. We all have companies and we all, if we're successful, we pride ourselves on our ability to run an organization. A lot of times the work with us begins to reveal things you don't realize about yourself and your organization. And when you go through like a discovery, like what we do, you come away with a whole new sense of how well your instincts are or aren't and what your company really is beneath the layer. So check this out. When you share knowledge, empower people with good information, you actually give them more control over aspects of their life. Whether you realize it or not, Block Talk is an extension of your brand designed to act upon your purpose, which is to harp on this point of clarity, which is to give people control. It's a perfect extension of your brand. I think that's that's cool to know that. It, it is. Yeah. I, well, I love what I do because, like, I discover all these connective pieces within companies. Because um, once you have all those pieces together, what opens up for you in terms of marketing and advertising is unreal. The next piece, the next ingredient that's really critical is the audience. You really need to know your audience. I'll go on record and make a stereotypical, generalized comment that most agents and most businesses, most, don't really know their audience. They think they know their audience. Oh, my audience is buyers. My audience is sellers. That's very high level. And I would say that, yeah, you, you know they're called a buyer. That's a category. But do you really know the buyer? Like, how well do you know your audience? And I don't think that you can really know an audience until you understand their pain and pleasure points during the journey of a transaction. There's a science called consumer journey mapping, which is just simply figuring out where along the trail do people have uh, moments of joy and moments of hardship and pain. And for a brand, if you can actually map that out and isolate that, and I know you guys have, you are well-educated on those moments of joy and pain. What happens is when you know where there's a moment of pain, and sometimes you can't avoid the pain. Here's a moment of pain in the concierge world. I got a $10 million home. I think it's worth $50 million. You're telling me it's worth 10, but you might get eight. And I'm having pain around that, but it's like, whatever. I've had it listed for four years. Let's go. And the best offer I get is uh, 72, 7.2 million. That's a pain point. You guys have figured out how to move somebody through that moment. If you don't have that figured out, then how can you ever succeed in truly getting somebody across that line? So let me give you an example. It's a fun one because I always do this. If you're an agent, you're working with a buyer, and if in your world you're helping them find a listing and you send them a link to, let's say you're sending them an email with six listings listed in the MLS. Do you ever get a link to listings in the MLS? It's a freaking nightmare looking at an MLS website. It's literally like you've been taken back into the 1990s. It's a pain point because when you look at that information, you can't find anything. And you have to stare at it for minutes and minutes and minutes just to find where the price is. It's a pain point that agents don't ever deal with. They just send you the link. Hey, here's six listings. Take a look and let me know what you need. If you know where a pain point is, you can deal with it. And one way to deal with it is just send an email and acknowledge it. Hey, I'm about to send you a link that's going to send you into the past. And I'm sorry about that, but here's the reality. The MLS has got the most updated information, and I know their design is kind of crummy, but the info is really good. Yeah, so and look at the top right to find the price. Exactly. Like here's. Here's where you'll find stuff. And if you have any kind of a hardship, just text me and I'll walk you right through it. Like, just deal with it. If you can turn pain points into pleasurable points, it's a win. If you can turn moments of pleasure into pure ecstasy, man, then you're really on the map. And this is another component within. So, think about Apple. Ever buy an Apple product and get that box? Yeah. Opening the box is like so much fun. Not not to sort of steal from Marie Kondo, but there is a spark of joy opening up an Apple box. You already bought the product, but like they double down on the box experience. 
if agents think about how to double down on moments of pleasure and turn them into moments of ecstasy along the journey, not just once at closing, when you give them a gift that may or may not really be what they need, that's the pathway to brand. And then the final component is image. You need to have an image. You need to look good. You need to look buttoned up. You need to look like a finished product, a finished entity, even from the get-go. And that's where design is so important, right? If a picture tells a thousand words, uh, a brand image and a brand design and a brand identity can tell a million words. And once again, this is where you guys have just put so much effort into packaging concierge. I still have a book from years ago you sent me, this big, thick, white book. Remember that? The key book. The key book. It's just so beautiful. And I don't think it took that much to take it from being, hey, we could have saved ourselves a few bucks and made it okay, to making it hardcover and like a permanent fixture in my life. Visual identity. It's the book. It's the cover that people judge the book by. It's we all as human beings react to the way things look. Agents have probably had this happen a million times over. You pull up in front of a home. And the buyer doesn't even want to walk in because the outside looks crummy. And the agent is saying, no, 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 you got to get inside. It's got what you want. Don't worry about the outside. We can always paint or always landscape. But, you know, once that consumer gets that turn off, they're gone. They could be gone forever. It's a lot harder to get them across the finish line. So mm-hmm. I did a little sketch just to take you through. So here's Laura Brady, a little logo for Laura Brady, the agent. It's nice and simple. It's got a nice type in a, in a simple little box. And I would call this sort of like default idea number one. So let's tweak it a little bit and let's strengthen the font and strengthen the box because as I told you, Laura is fierce and strong and has a vision and doesn't stop at anything. And that sort of light treatment doesn't quite get Laura to wear because that identity has a job to do. It's not supposed to please you. It's supposed to tell the world about you in ways that you may not get a chance to. So it has, it's an employee. It has to serve a purpose. So, but Laura's also got personality. See that rectangular box kind of feels a little bit too straight for Laura. Uh, I mean, look at you in the pink dress, lipstick. Like, I know you, you're exuberant. You're exciting to be around. Like that first, that second, it looks corporate, a little bit too corporate for who you are. So by rounding you out, gives you a little, takes it another step further. But it's still not good enough because uh, that looks a little bit generic. So we embellish it a little bit more and put it in a circle and like separate Laura and Brady. And like we're now trying to really play into some of the attributes that make you you. But at the end of the day, I kind of look at it as a, you know, as a chief creative and go, you know what? Now we've taken it too far. Maybe it looks kind of cool and different, but it, it's lost the essence of Laura. So part of visual identity work is also having a good editorial eye. So if we go to the fifth notion and stream it all back and put a little bit more weight into the typeface, a unique custom typeface, and put a period at the end, what we can say, we now have landed at draft concept number one. That there's still a lot more work to do, but you can just see the evolution of like identity design trying to capture the essence of Laura. And I felt like, man, I just whipped this up yesterday. It took me 10 minutes. I love it. Thank you, Mark. Weeks and weeks. But like, I feel like number five kind of captures you to a degree. It's a type that feels you. And so, hence, a little education just on building out identity, building out design, using science to really articulate what the brand is all about, what its worldview is, what its point of clarity is, who its customer base is, that identity has got to do, articulate and reach all that. So those are like the five building components. Mm -hmm. And then also one thing I keep thinking of that you were talking about before is the personality of the voice with you. So I remember reading your blogs 10 years ago or so, and you, you write so well. And specifically, I remember enjoying the actual, the action of reading the words, because I come from just having much more of a like strict PR writing kind of style. And you write with your stream of consciousness, 
right? Like grammar is not how you learned it in school. It's how you read it and how it's evoking a spoken word. And so to me, when I think of your personality and your personality comes through in your writing because of that. So considering that as part of the brand, like however you're writing taglines or writing, you know, commercials or emails even that are in keeping with the consistent personality and, and type that people then get to know. Like if I get a thousand watt email, I can tell the difference between the way that Brian has written or you without it having your name as the author at the top. That's an interesting thing because he and I write so completely different, as does Jessica, who wrote yeah. some amazing blog posts yesterday just about COVID and the times. Oh, it's great. Um, but they all read like Thousand Watt. Yeah. And this was always a thing for us. So brand tone and brand voice are critical elements in conveying sentiment, conveying purpose, conveying humanity. Like we're all taught to, we're given these sound bites, Laura, right? Of like, be more human, be more authentic. I don't really like those words. They just feel like sound bites. The bottom line is you want to be you. So when they get something from you, it should sound like you. It's why I always rallied against companies like Happy Grasshopper that like creates your marketing and writes your words that you send. That's not you. It's someone else. And there's, some, there's something so not authentic about that that I believe you're better off not writing anything, not sending anything than sending something somebody else wrote. Breaking down tone and voice is, here's the thing, it, it comes from listening. I, I, when I was nine, I found a guitar in a garbage pail. It had a big hole in it. It was an acoustic guitar, so it already had a hole, but then it had another hole. I had no idea how to play, um, but you know, I'm on the streets of New York and I see this guitar in the garbage and take it home. And I found that I was able to figure out music by listening to songs on the radio, and then I could quickly find it on the guitar. I had a knack for that. And it's the same with like this. I can listen to a client talk to me, and at the end of that session, I now have created a matrix. I'm doing it now while you and I are talking. I'm making all these notes about you. I just naturally do this, but like I can come up with sort of a schema, your lexicon, the words you should use versus words you shouldn't use. If you tell me that you are unique and different, I then look for examples of what that is. But let's say at the end of discovery, I discover that you truly are unique and different, then you got to make sure that in your marketing, you never say things everybody else says. So maybe you never use the word leads to describe incoming requests and inquiries. Yeah. So we'll create a list of lexicons or a lexicon list of words you should use, words you shouldn't use in writing your statements and positioning and all the stuff we're using language that is you that needs to be the brand once again like i've marveled at how concierge and listen you with crystal and all the other people in your department you, you've got an awesome department of creatives and marketers that know this stuff and you see it it's evident in everything you guys produce i know a concierge piece i don't have to see your brand on i don't have to see your logo to know it's from you Tone and voice comes through imagery, the kind of pictures you take and how you frame them, how you like them. That's tone. That's voice, too. Like it's in everything. Again, if you want to separate yourself from the pack, um, you can try to do it on your own. That's cool. Some people are really good at it and some are not. But figuring it out and maintaining its consistency across. We did a job recently for a company who wants to move in the high end. They kept using the word luxury, but they're not high end. They're professional and they're great at what they do and they can provide these great services. Mostly they've been to people in the middle price range, but they want to extend upward because they've done a lot of business in the higher end. But in looking at their competitors, we notice that there is a certain lexicon that's always being used to market high-end luxury property. Words that just keep showing up over and over and over again. And we had created this whole map of words you should never, ever use. And here's replacement words that will resonate for a lot of reasons, including the fact that most people who live in high-priced homes don't think of their homes in the way that real estate tends to describe them. Because it's just their homes. Their kitchen's their kitchen. Their garage is their garage. Their, their, their living room is their living room. It's not unparalleled living room. It's just where they 
live and where they host their guests. Changing up the language by changing up the tone and voice, a agent can manifest a distinctive place in the world of generic marketing and positioning and copywriting. And that's where branding comes out of. Yeah, so along those lines, we actually had a question about what marketing trends do you think are outdated at this point? I mean, you said luxury, certainly luxury, the term luxury has been used over and over. Let me find where that slide was. Anyway, talk about that. What marketing trends do you think are outdated that we should be moving past? Well, I think uh, a good question There's probably a lot. Using the word luxury to describe beautiful property. I get it. Chanel is a luxury brand. Your company might be a luxury brand. Sotheby's is a luxury brand. When you start doubling down on, I'm a luxury agent and I sell luxury houses, you're failing to be inside the the mind of the customer. Like I said, they don't live in, they don't, it's just their home. If you could move beyond that which real estate has been doing forever and ever and ever and start to re-script the narrative, I guarantee you, you're going to find more people are going to be attracted to you for that. Not every luxury home is unparalleled. I see that word constantly. Not every agent needs to have an image of themselves standing in front of a Mercedes Benz. Like it becomes generic. That's not luxury. Anybody could lease or borrow or walk down the street and find a Benz and stand in front of it and have a photo taken. That's not unique. It's not special. Luxury, what is luxury? It's a ladder of benefits that you provide that others don't design and write and market that extend and accentuate that. So I think the use of buzzwords would be a, uh, an outdated marketing thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rat-tat-tat through some ideas uh, and feel free to jump in. I think creating promotional-only social media is sort of the thing in real estate. There's so much promotional But if everybody's promoting, then nothing stands out. Again, I'm all about doing things that stand out. So in a world where everybody's promoting, you got to do non-promotional stuff. But there's some statistic that I read recently that like 55% of consumers back out of brands where all they're doing is promotional marketing. Now, look, sometimes you have to promote. You have to promote an event. Like you have have an auction coming up. You got to promote that. So that's cool. You need to do that, but you need to offset that with other things. And we'll get into this hopefully, but like those other things are storytelling and other types of marketing. So I think creating promotional only specifically on social media or anywhere is a trend that was never good, but it's today it's not good at all because most brands today are investing heavily in storytelling. We could do a whole entire session on storytelling, but it's like storytelling is what you watch when you watch the Super Bowl and every single ad is like some little mini trailer for a movie. It's a story about people or a story about things and there's no product positioning. What the brand is doing is they're telling you about their purpose. They're marketing around their worldview. They're targeting your emotions because they know you and they know what moves you. So like storytelling marketing, and this is not that hard to do in real estate, um, but you really need to know yourself and know your customer to be able to do that. I think another thing that's probably trended out is easy versus effective. Real estate is notorious for like saying ages, hey, you know, a tweet, do do Twitter, do Vine, do TikTok, do this, do that, just do all these things. It's easy. You could just dance in front of a, your phone and put it on TikTok and you're marketing. Actually, that's really stupid. For a brand to do this, unless the brand is built around marketing, I mean, dancing and entertainment and, you know, like... It's a brand component. But if you're in a serious industry selling serious things like homes, you need to really be mindful of like doing easy. If everybody's doing easy, well, then there's there's too much of that. There's too much easy out there and then no one's paying attention. So I think the thing that is more of the smarter trend is just do things that are effective, which might mean ruling out 90% of what you're told to do and just focus on one or two things that you know will be effective. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Really having to hone your attention because also if you're so scattered across a lot of different channels, then you're not really an expert at any of them. That's actually a trend I think that's trending out too, is is being all over the place 
and specifically using the same content all over the place. You have to know what you're doing. So technically, you can create a TikTok and put it on Twitter, and that probably is compatible. But what you post on Facebook might not be appropriate for Instagram, or it might not be appropriate for LinkedIn. Like you need to really segment out your stuff. Mm-hmm. Like what agents don't do most of the time is not rely on analytics, and I think that's like just winging it and pushing stuff out and not really relying on analytics, like not studying what works and what doesn't work. Uh, Cause we'll often say in discovery when we're like working with a larger company and we're talking to the marketing department, we ask them like, what's your methodology? Like, how do you measure success? Tell us what's worked and what hasn't worked in the past. And sometimes we get, we don't know if you're in marketing or doing marketing, you have to know. Yeah. Uh, we know a thousand watt, what blog posts we write get more hits and more reads and more shares than ones we don't, than ones that don't. And the stuff that don't, we try not to write about that anymore. We move on. We focus on the things that people seem to need. I get a lot of stuff from agents and a lot of it's text heavy and it's a lot of reading. Now, listen, I'm a writer. Uh, I have a team of amazing writers at thousand watt. So we value the written word. And we think that you can write as many words as you want, as long as they're good. But if you're just creating text to create text and I can't hang on every single word, then you need, I think that's trended out. There's a time and place for copy. And I think knowing when you can double down on copy and when to tail back from copy uh, and replace it with image, pictures tell a thousand words, a video. Like there are other things that are more that are trending, that are smarter and more effective. But if you're not a skilled writer and you really don't like understand how to create sort of rhythm and lyric and melody in your writing, less is more. I think also what's trending out, Laura, believe it or not, is big hero images that are full bleed on websites. So a website is a marketing platform and every real estate website's got a big full bleed image of something. And it's usually a house or a community or what else. We put lifestyle in some of ours. It's mostly homes and community for real yeah. estate and brokers. In your case, everything you do is geared toward your primary customer. Uh, and I know you invest heavily in photography. Most of what I see in real estate is stock. So that's trended out. Stock photography from hero image down to any image on your website, if you're using stock photography, you know what? You run the risk of using the image of the young woman or the, or the man who is also the model of the erectile dysfunction pamphlet at the pharmacy. You just run that risk because like they're using stock photos too. Stock photography is the worst curse on real estate. You need to use original photography. But let's talk about that hero image full bleed. Everybody's using a house. Everybody's using a community. What else? There's a million other things you could be doing, including not using any photography, but just going with beautiful type, color, words, really good words. It doesn't need a picture. Sometimes the picture can be distracting. It might tell a thousand words, but you don't want to tell a thousand words. You want to tell six words, like your ultimate value proposition. Answer the reason why I just arrived at your site. So I think the trend of just sort of generic copy and generic imagery and generic design, everybody's got a full bleed, big hero image. You should be the one that does it. No different. That's a great point. And then it puts more importance on, again, the written word and making sure that the tagline is right and is in line with your positioning. Mark, what's your opinion on ornamental or decorative branding? I don't know exactly what that means. What does that ring to you? It could mean a lot of different things. I will respectfully say that like the word branding gets misused at times in real estate. Okay, here's a a soundbite. Marketing is what you create to get people to buy your product or service. Branding is the action you take to get people to believe in your marketing. That creates an amazing distinction between these two elements. And so sometimes I get questions asked like that, that may actually be referring to the marketing, not the branding. So that individual can expand on that. That would be great. 
So one thing I do want to hear from you on, Mark, is what's one of the harder branding projects you've had to tackle? What have you come into that's been hard and how do you overcome it? We've been working with a lot of agents and teams lately. What I have found to be difficult is getting them to be honest in their responses to us. Like that's the moment where you put down the facade of who you're presenting yourself to be in the community and really being honest with us and telling us who you really are and what you're really about. Because like we'll produce work based on what you tell us, but then when we show you the work and you say, oh, that's not really me, and we go, well, why is that the case? And they go, well, because I'm really like this. It's like, okay, thank you. There was a client who I love to death who acquired six or seven different brokerages over the years, over a 20-year period, and had to combine them all under the one brand. And they were all fiercely independent and realized that just the cost of managing seven distinctive brands was just too much. And if they're all different, they lack the ability to, to manifest true footprint. So they had to put them all together under one roof, create an identity, a new identity for the whole new thing, and then roll it out and make everybody happy. The rollout was planned for a Wednesday. I flew into New Orleans on Tuesday night, and when I landed at 2 a.m., there was a text on my phone that said, please don't come, we're about to shut down because of COVID. So the difficulty there was how do we unveil all of this to people who knew not, nothing about it when we can't stand in front of them in the typical construct of an unveil, which is, in this case, a, a, a casino hotel on the banks of the Baton of the river in Baton Rouge. So I had that morning to figure out how to completely rethink a whole presentation. I got to hand it to the client. You talk about real estate people not liking change. We had to change everything and do it immediately. And they had to buy into it immediately. And we succeeded. That client is Ladder and Bloom. Their leadership from Lacey Conway to Cheryl McAdam, all the way down are the most fantastic people. And they just wrote it. And to be honest, like we were expecting a lot of daggers thrown at them from agents at those other brands who in the morning would find out that they're no longer blank, blank realty that they've been for a hundred years and are now ladder and bloom. It was, it took a lot of thinking, a lot of gut instinct, a lot of take a risk. There's, yeah. there's danger in risk, but there's excitement in risk. Yeah, for sure. That's huge. And I mean, another another change and pivot because of COVID, we're certainly going to look back years later and see the resiliency of, you know, not only us as people, but in our businesses and change and those who stepped up and, you know, really made pivots and embraced the change. Um I mean, for me, it's been, it has definitely been a crazy time, but it's also been like invigorating to have, you know, new challenges to have to figure out how to overcome so what is the one thing because you guys have always your whole thing is about control and overcoming obstacle to create solution you do it every day what is the one like since covid reality you've had to contend with like maybe within your own organization or as you relate to your clients out in the world because you usually would swoop into a market be there physically what is the one like oh shit we can't do that anymore and we have to now do this. Well, we certainly had the same elements that anyone else in real estate sales does of how do we get clients in to see the properties and how, mm. you know, how can we do all this safely and keep, keep sales going for us. A good thing was we've always had a portion of our buyers that have purchased sight unseen, not visiting the properties. We sell a lot of second and third homes and, so we have the technology in place to, you know, let people virtually see properties. Most of them, we had to expand upon that. We had historically, we had always done a site visit of every property that we sell. So had someone on our sales team physically go, even, you know, if they don't, we don't have anyone that's full-time based in Fiji. When we sell a property in Fiji, someone goes there and sees the property. Yeah, and so... We haven't done that in the past six months for every property. I mean, unless it's been easy for a team member to get to. Um, yeah. But what we found is we may not have to do that always. We have an agent 
on the ground who's, you know, we're working alongside and other contacts typically that we've worked with before, even other clients that we can ask to go see the property or, you know, agents that are in our network. It's been eye opening to all of us, I think also of what things did we used to do that were time, took a lot of time and money and we don't have to do that. I mean, office space is the other one, right? Our operations office where it's downtown Austin, Texas, and now people have mostly been working from home and, you know, enjoying that flexibility. So are they yeah. you ever gonna come back to an office space? I don't think we are. Time will tell. We have our office space. I think it, you know, it definitely would be nice for certain groups to be able to get together at least sometimes, but maybe it doesn't have to be all the time. So more flexibility in, you know, some co-working and I don't know. It's still up in there. We're taking it day by day, month Love by that. month. We're so way ahead of the curve on that virtual showing and i'll just make a generalized statement but the reason why is because you guys were always so incredibly clear about the brand concierge and that creates conversations internally around well then what do we need to be doing to prove we are who we say we are if we say we are the most cutting edge solution in the country that gives people control what must we create to prove that i can't stress this enough Brand, you never will become a brand if all you do is, you know, the shallow surface stuff of branding. You can have a nice logo and you can have a nice website, but you can't create a brand from that. You create a brand when you actually act upon your purpose. You act, you solve the problems to create the better world that you say you are and you continually move your company forward in providing solutions to problems. That's how you get to brand status. Kudos to you guys. Thank you for your help from the early days until now, always along the way. That was all I did. All right. Well, I'm going to close this out for sake of time. Mark and I could probably keep visiting for a few more hours, but I will let everyone who planned for this hour um, close out the webinar. I will say a couple things for our upcoming events that we have with Block Talk. We do have two agent education courses that are coming up, one in September, September 18th and another one October 23rd. We're offering these Auction 101 courses and by virtue of joining a one hour deep dive into our business, you then become a preferred agent with our preferred agent network. So go to blocktalknow.com and register for those. And this session as well as all of our other Block Talks uh, can be found on iTunes and Spotify. So thank you for joining in real life, those who are here. And for those who are listening in later, um, Hopefully we'll see you on another one. And Mark, thank you. Thank you for being you. You too. For being a friend. Always. Mm -hmm.